Uh, today's message comes from James chapter 3, verse 7 through 18. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Amen. Hope you're all enjoying some of the warm weather we've been having. Just checking if this works. There we go. Um, the warm weather we've been having, but hopefully you're not putting away all of your winter clothes, uh, putting yourself at risk of getting sick. Um, but yes, it's been really nice, uh, so hope you're enjoying it. Uh, it's good to be here with you all on this Sunday. Um, today we're continuing on in our series uh, in the book of James that we've titled Faith in Action. Um, this graphic was made by Pastor Martin, and I, I made a comment. Uh, I asked him, where do you find all of the cool fonts that you use? Because those aren't standard fonts. Um, but yes, Pastor Martin made the graphic, uh, so grateful for that. But we're continuing on in this series where we're talking about very practical ways we can grow in following our Lord. Uh, and today we're talking about taming the tongue, uh, taming the beast of the tongue. James, he continues on and he gives us practical advice and this is just such an important part of who we are. And words have always been a big deal in the Bible. We are made in the image of uh, a God who created using his words. Um, and as people made in his image, our words also have the potential to create and to destroy. Uh, maybe not in the same way uh, as God does. But the adage that I grew up hearing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, that is completely false. And today in schools, they don't teach that. Instead, we try to teach to our children the gravity of their words, that their words do actually matter. Um, now, James, when he talks about this, he gets very descriptive uh, in the language he uses. Um, no, that's not right. Uh, he gets very descriptive in the language he uses. He talks about a bit in the mouth of a horse, a rudder on a ship, a forest fire started by small sparks. Uh, and as I was reading this passage this week and spending time in it, I could just think about California and just all that's happened in the last um, season uh, with the fires and 
personal side note, my grandmother, she recently moved back to New York after living in California. And so we were actually very grateful, very glad that she wasn't there because uh, she was living there on her own. But the intense fires that they had there. Um, James continues on, uh, as Jeff read for us, that all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures have been tamed and um, by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It speaks to the weight of our words and how important this is for us. And we'd be fools not to recognize that our words have the potential for evil, that our words can be dangerous. Before the passage that we read, James gives a strong warning to those who would teach, presumably teaching from the Bible. Um, and so I, too, standing before you, feel the weight of our words. And this process of, of learning to use our words well, it starts from the children, but it continues all throughout life. Like James says, none of us can completely master our tongues. And so our children, we try to teach them to navigate conflict well, to express their feelings well. We're youth, a lot of what we do for our youth, for me personally, is to guide them to communicate with their parents, to guide them to communicate with their peers. And this continues on into adult life, and the kind of dark truth is that the longer you've lived, the more you've seen. The longer you've lived, the more you've experienced, and the craftier we actually become. And so when the Bible talks about speaking out of bitterness, speaking out of jealousy, selfish ambition, um, and how words can create disorder, the longer you've lived, the more you've experienced it. And just to kind of get us on the same page, I'm going to say that again and ask that if you have indeed experienced this in your life, would you give me a firm amen? And so the longer we've lived, the more bitterness we've spoken out of, the more jealousy we've spoken out of, the more selfish ambition we've had, and the more we've seen that words create disorder. Amen? Amen. Thank you. And you see, James addresses this, and he compares two kinds of wisdoms. One that he describes as being earthly, unspiritual, and he uses the word demonic. And that's not to say that there's like a demon when we talk this way, but it's to say that it's bad. It is against what God desires for our lives. And the wisdom that he compares that to is wisdom from heaven that is indeed pleasing to the Lord. And today I want to focus in on those last two verses um, because that's really the meat of how James asks us to approach the subject. Uh, but would you join me in prayer before we step into God's word? Gracious Father, we thank you um, for you are merciful, for you are patient, for you are a God who uses his word so well. And Lord, today as we come under this word, I pray that you would help us to do the same. Help us to live in a way that is pleasing, to speak in a way that is pleasing to you. Help us to recognize that our words, the way we speak, are an act of worship, not just when we sing praises to you, not just when we pray, but in the way that we speak to one another. Lord, would you cover me with your grace as I preach this word, uh, that I too would continue to, to come before you with reverence uh, and humility. Um, cover us, Lord, today with your grace and strengthen us for all good things. In your name we pray. Amen. So James, as he approaches this subject, he's not really talking about, you know, saying nice things to one another or simply encouraging one another. While those things are great and we should be doing those things, I believe he's talking about something a little more difficult, 
a little more difficult. And to lay this out, to talk about it, he kind of goes from outside and in and describes our character when we speak and then talks about our disposition and then gives us practical tips. Um, and in addressing our character, he says that we are to be pure. He says that we're to be impartial and sincere. And I think it's right to talk about character first when we talk about our words. Because when we talk about our speech, it's more than just the mechanics of the words we use. We teach our children not to say certain words. And it's actually really interesting to see when children come together for the first time. And in one household, one word is like very bad. In another household, it's not a big deal. And so they'll use these words and they'll be shocked when they hear words that they're not allowed to use at home. But here, we're not talking about the mechanics of the words. We're talking about the character. And so Paul calls us to be pure, to be sincere. This is echoed throughout the Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 3, right? Paul gives Timothy instruction on, on how to find deacons, on a measure of how to see uh, who is fit to, to begin to, to grow in leadership in the church. And he calls uh, for those people not to be double-tongued, not to be devious in their speech, to be sincere. When I was 18, um, the summer before college, I worked at a children's summer program and worked with four-year-olds for the very first time. Uh, and it was just very nerve-wracking. I didn't know what I was doing. I was working with like another teacher and these children were so cute. They were so like sweet to each other on like, day one they were crying, but day two to four, they were really sweet. And I remember the day the bubble burst. This one girl, she might've been having an off day. I wanna give her the benefit of the doubt but she just wanted everything. Any snack, any crayon or toy anyone else had, she wanted it. And she would demand it and she would be pushy with her friends and I was so shocked just watching her from the corner. And at one point she got so frustrated that she wasn't getting her way that she put everything down, took a deep breath, came over to me and the other teacher and in a sweet voice said, can I have some candy? And I remember being so appalled, like I saw everything you just did and you turn around and think you're going to get your way. And in that moment, there's this thing that Koreans say. It's um, tal babo. And basically what it means, tal is the word for daughter and babo is the word for stupid. Um, and it's a saying that when, when men, when they have their daughters uh, and when they're young, they just, logic and reason go out the window and they want to give everything to their daughters. And that idea just was no longer there in my mind. I was like, never again will I trust a four-year-old girl asking for something so sweetly. And she destroyed that image for me. Now you see, with children, the example is cute, maybe surprising, maybe like we laugh at how naive I was as an 18-year-old, but the truth is, adults do this all the time, and it is not cute. Adults do this all the time, that it becomes less and less of a shock, that it becomes normal to see it. Now James, he does address this idea. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have made, been made in, the, uh, in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth um, come praise and cursing. And he says, brothers and sisters, this should not be so. And it's such an obvious statement. I don't think anyone here, if we ask, you know, what is pleasing to the Lord, we wouldn't say, oh, being devious and sneaky, that's what's good. But it's such a strong reminder for us that when we talk about our words, it's not just the mechanics, but it's a reflection of character. 
Jesus himself says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the Bible calls us to this higher standard of speech, that this too is a part of our sanctification. This too is a part of our worship. From that platform, James moves on. He talks about our disposition um, when we speak, and he says that we're to be peace-loving, full of mercy and good fruit. And when we hear peace-loving, our instant thought might be to think we'll never have conflict. That is the ideal Christian standard. Never bump shoulders, never disagree, never have any difficult conversations where I need to repent or I need to confront someone. That is the golden standard. But that would just be naive. I don't think that's what James is talking about. If that were the case, he would be going against his own word by writing this in such forward language to the churches, confronting them. So rather, what I think he's talking about is that we're to be a people who work towards peace, who have peace in mind as our goal, who have reconciliation in mind. And to talk about this idea, I want to present two caricatures Um, And I did this in our first service. I intentionally did not look at anyone as I was presenting these two things. Um, But these are two extremes where everyone falls in between leaning one way or the other. And the first is this. It's the person who says, I'm just honest so you can take it or leave it. I'm just honest so you can take it or leave it. And when we picture this person, they're the person probably uh, who might start posting things on Facebook, causing all of these like fiery debates that don't really lead to anything beneficial. They might be the person who take the First Amendment and use that as their license to spew out fire, to spew out their truth for the sake of their own satisfaction. Clearly, when we see this person, it's not the picture of what we hope God wants us to be. The fruit of this kind of person might be that the people around them are constantly hurt, that the people around them learn not to be at ease. The second caricature is the person who says, I'm not going to speak up because that's what it means to be merciful. I'm not going to speak up because that's what it means to be merciful. Now, this is slightly more subtle. And if we think of just behavior modification, this is like the good child Um, it looks commendable. When I was in college, I read a book about, like, Asian-American family, something. I I forget how I read it. It wasn't for a class. But I remember reading a line that said, uh, a lot of Asian-Americans teach their children that children are meant to be seen but not heard. And when I read this line, my life, like, made sense. Everything came together. I was like, this is how I was raised. And even though my parents never used these words, they could just give me a look from like all the way across the room and I knew I needed to be silent. And a lot of times we might fall into this caricature where we think, you know, the best thing is not to create any conflict, so let me just duck my head and hold everything in. And we think this might be a picture of being merciful. But the truth of the matter is that mercy in its full expression, in its beauty, is seen when we see the fault, when we see the problems, and we choose still to be merciful. God has this kind of mercy where he doesn't shy away from our sin, our faults, our inability, our failure. He doesn't shy away from any of it. But he teaches us and he reminds us that his love is even greater 
And this is the mercy that we're to strive for. The fruit of this caricature is that you might bottle up everything that you face that is difficult. And what ends up happening is either you leak or you explode. You leak in that the people around you, you start to distance yourself. You start to distance yourself from the things that bother you. You slowly become less tolerant of these people who you're being so merciful to until you explode all at once. And I'm sure we've all experienced that either on the receiving end or the person bursting. We're not made to function that way. That is not God's picture for what we should be. The end result of that is that we burn out on whatever we're working on. We burn out in the communities that we're in. What was once beautiful, what was once helpful, now becomes dry, becomes a burden. It becomes a cause for burnout. And we feel trapped because we're not allowed to speak what is actually going on. The call for both of these caricatures and everyone in between is to be sanctified in our speech. So rather than spewing poison, to seek God's fruit, to seek peace, to seek reconciliation. Rather than bottling up or simply being passive, learning to use our words for good. This is echoed by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says, Speak the truth in love. Don't deny truth, but don't disregard love. But we're called to be a people who use our words to build peace, to build community. James continues on and gives us practical instruction, and he uses the words considerate and submissive. And with the word considerate uh, comes the idea of being gentle. The word there can, can fall into both. And when we think of the word gentle, again, we think of always being soft, always being quiet. But the truth is to be gentle is to be very active. To be gentle is to be very active. To be gentle is to know what the other person needs. And I, I think of it as, as a good teacher, a good coach. A good teacher knows their students, and they're not just barking down knowledge, but they're bringing themselves down to understand their students, to understand what each child needs to learn and to grow. I think that's the hardest part about teaching. In college, I was tutoring um, for this family, and they had twins, twin boys. And to tell them apart, I used their hair because one had straight hair and one had like lion hair. I don't know how. He was, they were half Korean and half Caucasian. Um, and that's how I told them apart. But they were so different in how they learned. One of them, like he could barely sit still for like the hour and a half we were together. And if I taught him something, I had to like keep telling him the same thing over and over again in different ways and use like pictures and like little tools. And he was in fourth grade and I was like, I'm not going to use like Cheerios to teach you math. Um, I think I almost did at one point. Um, but his brother was the complete opposite. I would tell him something and he would just need time to like figure it out. And if I asked him questions or if I like tried to move on, he would get flustered. And so I would teach him one thing and say, hey, do you have any questions? And there would be a long pause. It was really uncomfortable at first. He was like, do you have any questions? <laughs> and then he would give me like a small, like, I don't get this. And they were so different. And a lot of my job was not just to spew out information at them, but to recognize what it's going to take to bring them along. 
And in the same way with our words, in difficult conversations, in conflict, in asking for repentance, in confronting people when we've been hurt, what's called, what's required is this gentleness. To know how to engage the other person. To know when somebody needs a certain mode of communication. To be soft, to be firm, to wait, or simply to listen. The goal is to use our communication, to use our words for the good of the other person, for the sake of understanding the other person, for the sake of reconciliation. Again, not spewing things out just because it feels better, but learning restraint for the purpose of building peace. A part of this word, a part of this idea comes uh, with resisting anger when provoked. Resisting anger when provoked. And if you've ever been in this situation, you can just kind of nod your heads um, when you're in conflict with someone and you decide, okay, we're going to fix this, I'm going to make nice, and you go over to them and you muster up everything in you to go against the temptation to like hammer them down and you apologize. And what you get in return is a sarcastic comment or a cold shoulder. Have you guys ever been in that situation? What happens after that is that your anger is like twice the level where it was. Fury and rage are all that you have in front of you. But the Bible, what James calls us to, is to be gentle, to be firm, to be focused on the goal of making peace. Now you see, Jesus modeled all of this so well, so perfectly. He listened to people. He sat with them. He spoke into their lives. He challenged them. He rebuked them. He turned tables, not because he was angry and full of rage, but because he knew this is what they needed to see the glory of God. The woman at the well, he sat with her and he understood her and he showed her that he knew her and still accepted her. With the Pharisees, he was firm and he was bold because they were so arrogant in what they had. And Jesus knew what each person needed. The next word, submissive. It's another word where we might have our, our own notions of what that means. Uh, I think the biggest misconception is that thinking of submission as, as simply bending in all circumstances, always ducking down. One commentator, uh, Douglas Moo, actually paints it this way on submissive, on being submissive. He says it's about letting the unimportant things go. It's not meant to be weak, it's not meant to be gullible but a willing deference to others when unalterable theological or moral principles are not involved, when the most important things are not being challenged, to be loose, to be gracious. That's what he means by submissive. And other translations of the Bible say open to reason. Open to reason. And what that brings to attention is actually listening to people. And beyond just hearing and listening, it's to be humble in our listening. Because we can stand there ready to judge a person we're not agreeing with and listening to them, looking for points to stab at, looking for opportunities where they just run out of air so we can jump in with what we need to say. But this kind of listening that is open to reason comes with this attitude of saying, I may be wrong. I might not be fully in the right. It comes with understanding that I need to apologize for what I've done and contributed to this problem. Yes, this person might have started it. This person might have the longer list of of offense. 
but I need to apologize for what I've done wrong. It comes with the posture of wanting to understand where the other person is coming from. If you've been in like marriage counseling or if you're familiar at all or maybe you've seen um, things on TV where counselors will say it's not about winning or losing. It's about understanding each other. That's really what it is. To understand that people get upset, people are hurt because their values are challenged. Because a need is not being met and trying to understand. At the end of all of this, James presents, he says this, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, with our words, we get to see something righteous. We get to see something that is pleasing in the eyes of God. And this goes beyond simply encouraging other people and being nice with our words. But I believe that in the difficult conversations, when we don't agree, when we find ourselves in a position where we need to repent, we find ourselves in a position where we've been hurt and we need to bring it up. I think that's one of the hardest things to get people to do, to admit that they've been hurt. Because we live in a society that says you need to be strong, you need to keep going, you can't let the small stuff get to you. But the truth of the matter is, if we bottle things up, we're going to leak or we're going to explode. And so this call, this word that James gives us is not merely encourage each other, but it's, say, it's, it's being bold enough to step forward for the sake of peace. It's being wise enough to show restraint for the sake of peace. Peace that is honoring to the Lord we worship. Because if we sing all of these great songs, which I love today, by the way, the, like the age of the songs is like those were the songs that like I was so touched by growing up. But we can sing all of those songs, but the Bible says if we don't have love, we're just a clanging cymbal. And so in our communication, in our speech, we're called to point to peace. And all this to worship God. And I think there are three things that happen when we begin to do this. One, it addresses our relationship with God. See, we don't do this because it feels good to, to be in conflict or to push through these things. Honestly, it's so much easier not to deal with them, to move on with our lives, to simply say, I don't get along with this person, so I'm just going to put them at a distance. I'm going to be polite. I'll be like very, you know. But the Bible calls us to a different standard. To be humble before God, to recognize that God has brought us together as a community. God has called us to be better with our words. God has called us to push through this difficult process of learning to use our words for life. And it demands for us to be humble first and foremost before him. The second thing that happens is that we get to experience love and community that is far deeper than what we've had before. This is true for our marriages, for our homes, for our church. That when we do this together, we experience a deeper love. A congregation that's been through hard times is really there for each other when hard times come. Advice that my mom gave me that's like the most memorable, maybe one of the most memorable things she, she told me is that family is where you practice to be a better person. Family is where you practice. And so she would encourage us to fight in a healthy way. She would encourage us to communicate. She would demand that we would sit and listen to each other. And the same is true for our church family. This is the place where we get to practice and learn. 
The third thing that we get to experience when we begin to do this is that we begin to share the love that we experience with others. With others who are outside, with others who don't know God, with others who don't have this motivation for peace. What hope do we have to engage the world around us if we're not doing that here within our own walls, here within the people who we call family? And so today, as we close, I want to lead us uh, just in prayer with those three things. Maybe you're somebody who, who likes to, to put things out there immediately and for every situation. Maybe you're somebody who prefers to bottle things up and to take it and regardless of where you are, would you bring that to God and say, God, this is, this is where I'm at. This is my approach to communication. This is what I've learned to do over years of maybe pain and disappointment. But Lord, I want to bring this to you. I want to bring this to you, recognizing that you're calling us not to one extreme or the other, but to be beyond this, to look at something better, that is peace, that is love from you. So right now, um, just as a symbol of your response, would you bow your heads and, and place your hands on your lap, open before the Lord to say, God, I give you my words, I give you my heart. I give you my past hurts. I give you my past mistakes. Because I recognize that you want something greater. And I recognize that it's not going to be easy and it's going to take commitment. So Lord, would you help me? And as you do that, would you continue to pray? Pray for this church. That this would be the place where we learn. So many people have been hurt by the church. Disappointed because they expect no conflict in church. But this is the place where we practice and we learn. This is the place where we can show grace and mercy. But our hurts are real. So would you take time to bring that before the Lord, to say, God, I've been disappointed by your church. I've been hurt by your church. The people who you've called around me to love me, I've been hurt. Say, God, help us to do it better. Help me to do it better. Help me not to shrink back when I'm afraid, when I'm hurt, or when I have to admit that I've been hurt. And third, would you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you? Lead you this week to specific people that you might have to have a difficult conversation with, to ask for forgiveness, to admit that you've been hurt, to confront in love. It could be in this church, it could be outside of this church, but ask the Spirit of God to help you, to equip you, to guide you, to give you the restraint, not to spew things out at others, but also the wisdom of how to be gentle. This too is our worship. So Lord, as we commit to you our words, we commit to you yet again our lives. And we ask that first and foremost, we would recognize that this is not just about the words we speak to one another, but it's about our worship. It's about our sanctification. It's about our relationship with you. So first and foremost, Lord, grant us humility before you. And Lord, as we engage this hard task of learning to use our words well, give us strength, give us courage, give us humility. 
Remind us of your mercy so that we can be merciful to those around us. Keep us focused on peace. And Lord, give us the eyes to see the love that we get to experience with one another. Be glorified in our lives and in our words. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to have the ushers come and take the offering. And uh, we're going to sing. an oldie <laughs> but a goodie <laughs>